Hello and welcome to the Mullet Over Podcast. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, that was You gave of... a little extra. Yeah, little I did. Ex- That was a little longer. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is the Mullet Over Podcast with Dr. Richard Mole. And uh, we have a special guest. We have a, a studio audience today. We do. Drove all the way from Clemson, South Carolina, just to be our studio audience. Yeah. No, it's here. He's a good friend of the ministry and, and uh, happens to be in town and is joining us. You won't see him. You might hear him if he makes noise. But yeah. uh, overall, yeah, we'll start a Patreon page and anyone who donates, you know, $500 a month can be, be in the studio audience <laughs> moving forward. It's quite an experience, isn't it? All the food. To- he, he's not, it's definitely worth. It's definitely <laughs> worth the food. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and introduce our special guest for today's episode? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, from the first time we connected, um, Julia had reached out for ministry, and I was like, I remember the, I remember fair amount even about the first session going. One day, this is a story that's going to need to be told, Lord, in your perfect time, and uh, but. Um, yeah, so I I don't want to say too much because I want to give her the freedom to bring to light whatever needs to be brought to light and hide whatever still needs to be hidden because that's that's a that's a challenging thing. It's there's so many amazing stories of God in people's lives, and we know that many times it's not time yet for that to come into the light, and so we can't. There's stories of what God has done that we we can't tell, and then there's those times, and God had been speaking to Julie about time to kind of share some of her story. And so she had been exposed to a lot of the kingdom of darkness. She and but but it's interesting. I, I just said to Andrew right before this, I was like, two homeschool moms in a row. You know, it's like like uh, in in my mind, there's a like the homeschool moms are like the clean superstars, superstar moms. You know, and and wonderful you know, Christians and you are all of those things, but it's like, like a lot of times you go, man, these people have lived a life and, and have a story to tell. So, so we just recorded one a couple of days ago and, and this homeschool mom of six kids, I think it was, had, um, had been through satanic ritual abuse and, and kind of brought some of her story to light. Um, Julia has been through a lot of other stuff tied to the military, tied to human trafficking world and different stuff like that. I don't know exactly what we're going to get into today, but um, but I, I, I've been like, th- we deal with some of these things on a pretty regular basis and and um, Julie has been going after God and um, grown. Some people, when they get ministry into some of these things, it is a long, arduous, painful process by the inch and other people it seems to happen at a at a much faster pace i think that it, it has a lot of different things but but julia has been one of those that it's um a lot of breakthrough has come at a at a good pace she's got a lot of discernment um kind of a prophetic voice and so looking forward today to um i'm looking forward to hearing the story that you're ready to share and uh and um, I may ask you some stuff and feel completely free to decline anything that it's not time to jump into. But we are not in this for like, we're not looking for the, the Reader's Digest version. We're, we're, we're ready to hang out with you and get to know your story and hear as much as you are ready to talk about. So Julia Kelly, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. This is uh, 
going to be my first time ever sharing publicly about this stuff. So definitely Holy Spirit's going to have to lead and guide. I purposely did not plan what I was going to talk about. Uh, I didn't want to go down that bunny trail and allow fear to get a foothold in. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, How about we start at the beginning of how I found you, Richard? That'd be great. We often get that early in the story. So, so I had gone through deliverance through a couple different ministries, went to be in health ministries in a conference in Canada. And then I, at that conference, my daughter got healed of autism. And Praise that's God. what really triggered off the relationship to find, okay, wait a minute. The doctrine I've been taught in church is wrong. If God still heals today. And then after that, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit within a matter of days and then uh, received some inner healing just through listening to a podcast online uh, from Mike Connell Ministries, who's in New Zealand of all places. And then I went on to a little session with Sozo. Then I went to Restoring the Foundations And it was at that point that they exposed or Holy Spirit exposed that I had uh, SSRA in my background and they shut everything down. What is SSRA? Uh, Satanic sexual ritual abuse. And so a memory surfaced during uh, the soul spirit hurts section of the RTF prayers that revealed that I had been ritually abused uh, with a lot of satanic tools and rituals and stuff that had happened in that memory and they shut everything down. They're like, we're sorry, we cannot help you. Uh, We're not trained for this. Um, You have satanic stuff in your background and um, we're not equipped to deal with that stuff. So I just had a can of worms opened up and now is left hanging high to dry. So for five years, we endured the demonic assaults of having those dissociative barriers starting to crumble Mm. because deliverance had opened up one of those broken doors Mm. and the memory started flooding through, but that had also triggered off the, um, the kill switch of like, Suicide. Take Um, a second, just tell us what a kill switch is. For me, what was happening is I was constantly hearing that I needed to kill myself, um, that I can't tell anybody. I was in chronic state of fear that somebody was after me, that somebody was going to kill me, somebody was going to kill my kids. Um, At that point, I had two children and just the constant, I'd be driving down the road and I would be hearing in my mind, you need to run in your car into that post. Uh, you need to jump off this bridge. And it was just constant spirit of death, spirit of suicide, just hammering me. And it was so loud because it was inside my soul instead of outside uh, yelling at me. Um, but the saving grace was that I had received Holy Spirit. And I now had power inside of me to be able to fight back. And so for five years, I fought tooth and nail, holding on to the fact that my children needed a mom. 
And um, then we ended up having uh, somebody move in with us. We ended up taking in a homeless family and he was hitting triggers all over the place. I was really going unstable and we were both crying out to the Lord. We need help. We've, we had looked for deliverance all around uh, the province that I was in. I reached out to other provinces. No one in Canada was willing to help me because of who my family was, what I was connected with. And um, some of them even hung up the phone that they are like, uh, we can't talk about this on the phone. Click. And so everywhere I reached to the church, to church ministries, no one would touch me with a 10 foot pole. So then my husband ended up getting a word of knowledge about Richard Mull's name. And wow. so I don't think I ever heard that at this I don't point, remember it. that's wild. My husband told me, he's like, I got this name. I looked him up on the internet. Sure enough, he knows about some of this stuff. Maybe he can help you. And honestly, my first reaction at that point was, everybody else has rejected me. No one else wants to help me. Why mm. even bother? Mm. And he, my husband said, what do you have to lose at this point? And so I reached out on the website. You had an application form. I'm like, at this point, I'm not going to hide anything. I'm just going to sort of vomit into this <laughs> application form. I wish people could oh, read man. some of our applications oh and come in. We, uh, I guess we couldn't do that. We can't, we can't, we can't do it, but oh my uh, goodness. Yeah. We get stuff that other ministries, I think, would be like, <laughs> And we're just like, yep, that's kind of normal. I mean, I read stuff sometimes and I'm like, I don't even know if I believe this. Like, it's absolutely just insane. Uh, oh. and, but it's so amazing. Like, I, I actually teared up as you were saying that just because I'm like, God. Like, the number of God stories yeah. that people tell us that are impossible. Like, we, we don't market what we're talking about today. We don't talk about it very often. But it... God brings the Julius here. So keep going. I like it, it is ministering to me, but it's also, it's God. It's, it's his greatness and wisdom. And, and I, but I'm also humbled. Cause I'm like going like, what, what did you sent him here? Like, yeah. like, cause we feel so inadequate. And that's something I think is important for a lot of ministers to even comprehend. We say yes. A lot of times going, we, on the job training. We, I know more than most people I know about this, and I don't feel like I know anything. I feel inadequate. Um, and, it's, and it's not knowledge about it that equips us. It is knowing him and his voice. So keep going. Yeah, absolutely. It's because you knew him, but also you were obedient to God's commandments. And to be able to de delve deep into redeeming people out of rebellion and corruption, you have to be walking on the straight path. And so that's why a lot of other ministries can't, because they still have one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible. And if they've got rebellion in their lives, it gives them open doors to get hit. And so to a certain extent, it was wise for them to say no to helping me because the backlash that could have come back against them 
if they weren't walking in righteousness could have been catastrophic. So, hmm. uh, application. So I filled out the application. I shared some pretty gory stuff thinking I would be rejected again. And I got a response back. I think it was from Dawn and, uh, she wrote back and said, yep. Uh, we know exactly what you're talking about. We can help you. I had my first session with her pretty quickly. And uh, even going through that session, it was, I almost felt like I was purposely trying to scare her. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> like, can you really help me? Like, this is some of the awful stuff I've got memories of. And she was so calm. And she's like, uh-huh. Yeah. And I know that if that's there, then I know that other stuff is going to be there and we can handle that too. And I'm like, really? You're not going to reject me? And so that's where then she passed me on to Richard Mull, uh, due to her having an understanding that my experience was going to be a little bit more complicated, a little bit more, uh, connected um, than what she was uh, ready to deal with. And so she sent me up to the big guns, which was Richard Mole at the time. And uh, so then when I was in ministry with you, I was pregnant again. And my concern was that I did not want to go through pregnancy or the labor and delivery and then having a newborn while I was unstable. I wanted to get back to a place of stability, back to a place of peace um, so that I could be a real mom instead of feeling like I was constantly fighting demons all the time. And I remember you guys were a little leery about helping somebody that was pregnant. Um, and it was during at the very beginning of COVID. And so, uh, you agreed to take me on as a digital client um, and you made sure that I had my safety systems in, um, available, that I had people uh, on the ground and my support system available. And uh, you guys were very thorough with that. And even that little piece made me feel safe. And one of the biggest things with SSRA survivors is safety, because at the very core of the trauma is you're not safe, you're being traumatized. So to be in a place of feeling safe, knowing that you're being nurtured, even if it's just in those little things, it made a world of difference. And we ended up doing... Uh, I think we might have done like an initial first one just to see how things were um would one session be enough or did i actually need more help we ended up going into the intensive uh therapy where we did several sessions all within a short week and uh that was so tremendously healing because I finally had external confirmation that I was not crazy. I was not making this stuff up that, um, what I was remembering was real. 
Uh, all my life, I'd been told I had an overactive imagination, that I was just making everything up, that there was something wrong with me. Uh, when I was 13, I was threatened with being locked into a rubber room and the key being thrown away. Um, if I ever told anybody anything, um, and to have validation that not only was my story checking out, because while I was sharing some really wild details, Richard was on his computer, so he's listening and he's taking notes, mm -hmm. but he's also researching to see, are these places that I'm describing, do they actually exist? And I guess you were able to pull up a map of one of them, like one of those Google Maps. And you were actually saying, yes, this place does exist in this city. And yes, it does have a pond. And then you were able to confirm another location that was, uh, you called it the Asian version of the Epstein Island. Um, and that it did have a reputation for sex trafficking. And did you say the Asian version of Epstein Island? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I thought that's what you said. Now, now I want, I want to just mention one thing here. A lot of times I'm doing the research not out of doubt, but it is like we're talking about memories from when you're a little kid. And and one of the things that I found, because I, I, I from the earliest days, I'm going, this sounds too crazy to be true in people's stories. But there were people I knew, respected, loved, that God was bringing our way, trusted. And when I did that, it was so confirming of that stuff. So it's a lot of times for the person's benefit. Sometimes it fills in details. But a lot of times I will share it with people because I'm going, you just said a mile from your house was this organization and you don't know anything about this organization. I know a lot about the organization. And I looked up your house and I did a circle and it's, it's right at a mile and, 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 you know, stuff like that. And I'm going, so you, you, you didn't dream this up. You are describing something that was there in your neighborhood and it is an occult headquarters. And I know that because I know a little bit about, you know, in, in this case, the one I'm thinking of, it was odd fellows club. In another case, it was a person's name and right there in their obituary, was the satanic organization that they were a leader in. And it was just like, just to put your mind at ease, as insane as your memories are, I know that what they do is more insane than anything you've remembered so far. And it, and it's like, it, it's confirming. So I, I remember very much researching while you were talking, because it, it was blowing my mind what I was, un, what I was putting together. And I, and I couldn't tell you, because I'm going, I can't tell you what you've been a part of. But it was a it was a roadmap, you know the the places the the people all that kind of stuff said so much about what you had been through before you recovered memories before um, yeah so anyways go keep going yeah so with how Richard did all of that of uh, giving me a safe place to share my story and he was listening. Instead of saying, oh, no, 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 you just made that up. Oh, no, 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 that was just a dream. Or instead of casting doubt, he was listening. And then he was confirming these different places, different people. 
um, connections with organizations that it was legit. It did make sense. And because he has experience in this very dark world, that he was able to start connecting dots that I didn't know exist. And um, as far as I was concerned, I grew up as a missionary kid overseas, and my parents were uh, leaders in their denominational organization. They were internationally known in the Christian world. They were uh, sought after um, for speaking engagements in multiple different countries. Uh, they were setting up Bible colleges and the academic deans of multiple Bible colleges. Um, and so as far as I was concerned, my world was a little piece of heaven, even though it felt like hell all the time. And I struggled with trying to wrap my brain around why being a Christian was so absolutely awful. And there, like the Bible talked about love and talked about peace and joy, and I had none of it. And I couldn't see it in my parents either, but it was like, well, we're not good enough. We haven't obeyed enough. And so it was just, well, this is just life. So during those sessions where you started connecting the dots, and like he mentioned at the beginning, uh, there is military in my family tree, and I'm also ex-military. Uh, thankfully, God got me out of there uh, with a broken back. So, um, on, and on my military paperwork, it doesn't even say that. On my military paperwork, it says I had a herniated disc. And so even just how the paperwork even goes, it's like I am being released with a G505 uh, 3C medical release, but just for herniated disc. It's like when you start putting the pieces together, no, it doesn't make sense. And mm -hmm. Richard was able to start making my life make sense. And that right there brought such peace because I was finally able to put all of these floating pieces of why I felt things were wrong, why I had fears about certain things, uh, and how it all, all of a sudden it connected. And after we had gone through a good portion of that intensive uh, therapy week, you asked me the question, do you see how all these dots are connecting? And you were, I think you were checking to see if I could recognize it for myself yet, because again, yeah. you can't lead people into, you can't be suggestive with what you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, I do see it. I was part of an international sex trafficking ring from the age of two all the way up to the age of about 21. Um, and after my back injury, I got washed out because I was no longer useful. And I, the cover for everything 
was a Christian missionary organization. And so looking back at what the Bible says versus what I was taught as a child, they did not match. So they're saying mm -hmm. they're Christian. They are, they've got their Christian creed, but you shall know them by their fruit. And if their fruit is not lining up with what God's word says is the evidence of a child of God, then you know to be suspicious. And um, uh, on the surface, this was a large, well-funded, thriving Christian group that was rescuing a lot of children. Am I right? That would be kind of like what it looked like from the outside and how you believed. That was one piece of it. Yeah. Uh, the organization that my parents were involved okay. with, that was one of their many projects was mm -hmm. rescuing children from sex trafficking, which looks really good on the surface, except when I was older and I started questioning, well, why are you doing it this way? These children have families. Why are you not bringing the children back to their families? And why aren't you supporting the families and keeping the family unit intact? And if the issue is finances, it would be financially more feasible to support the girls or boys staying within their family units and then sending somebody in to disciple the people in that village is a way more cost effective than saying, oh, we'll, uh, you know what, instead of selling your children to the sex traffickers, sell them to us and then we'll take care of them. Like it, the stories didn't quite start adding up when you start really digging below the surface. And I did get to go to one of those sites and of course all the pictures and it's like, look what we're doing for the kingdom. We're building the kingdom. They have all the photo ops and everything. But I remember while I was there that there was just a feeling like there was something missing and what was missing was love because uh, I also grew up in a boarding school. And when you're taken away from your parents, you now have an open door for wounds of abandonment, rejection, and all the stuff that comes with that. And when you don't have that family unit as your foundation, it just causes so many problems. And it's like, you're saying you're trying to help, but you're actually harming. And then when all of these connect the dots started coming out, it's like, you know what? I don't know if there's more going on behind the scenes here than like, am I just making, am, am I resentful and I'm just making things up? But then one of the details that came out of my session is that one of my um, parents' best friends worked at Devil's Gate, NASA. And he was the one that was funneling the majority of the finances 
for this rescue operation. And um, Devil's Gate, uh, NASA. It's a location in Pasadena, California. And so uh, Jet Propulsion Labs. Okay. Famous for Ron L. Hubbard and Jack Parsons, founder of Worldwide Church of God, a satanic cult, Temple of Set, were founded there. Um, connected to Cameron. Jet Propulsion Labs and all of that. So it was. Um, and the connections to Mr. Cameron. Yep. And so. Is it all conjecture or is there a theme that starts to emerge that just doesn't look very good? Yeah. And then uh, when I ended up going to that, uh, to that person's house, when I ended up going to visit uh, Pasadena, California, and I don't remember much of that visit. I remember um, going to Pasadena. I've got pictures where I'm dressed in very seductive clothing. I'm going up a very tall mountain that I don't really know why we were there. And then um, then I remember being at uh, this gentleman's house. And when I started looking back at the different memories, I'm like, you know, it's interesting. This family is manifesting a lot of the curses of Deuteronomy 28. Oodles of medical problems, infertile, their land seemed to be cursed. They couldn't really get anything to grow on their land. Uh, they were constantly having uh, problems breaking down in their house. And this was all what I'd sort of observed that the Lord was highlighting Um as I was looking back and it's like, I was only there for that one time that I remember. And yet the Lord was sort of pointing out all these different things, how they're, they were not living a blessed life. They had evidence of curses landing everywhere. But a lot of finances flowing from there to this work. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And so, the amount of money that you have is not the determination of whether you are blessed or not. Correct. You can have overflow with $30,000 or you could have half a million and still be heavily cursed. Mm -hmm. And so as we went through the counseling with um, Richard and started uh giving Holy Spirit permission to open those doors that had been locked for so long that I finally felt safe enough and had assurance that anything that did get exposed, I had somebody to help walk me through those memories. And, um, I think that was another piece of why your ministry is so successful is because you're willing to assist with walkout on a certain level. Um, with my specific situation, I don't know if you do it with everyone. Maybe it's just because I was overseas and you wanted to 
sort of keep in touch. But Dawn was connecting with me and Deborah was connecting with me so that I had, um, I knew somebody was there that I could chat with and that they could also keep tabs on me to know that I was stable. And so knowing that I wasn't alone during this walkout process. And I know that you've been trying to uh, get this whole Freedom Park concept uh, up and running. And that is going to be so vital to be able to do in-person, intensive ministry where there is that community built, where there's ongoing relationship, ongoing support. And when that does get off the ground, you're going to see such a accelerated rate of redemption in people's lives because it's not just the stories being shared and then okay our time is all done it's now we're going to walk out those stories but we're also going to deal with the other pieces of your life where they're going to be living together and there's relationship skills learning and there's going to be practical life skills, relationship skills, financial skills, all of those things that you don't really learn in life because you're in either constant survival mode of not knowing if you're going to be alive the next day. And so you're not investing into your future or because you're so fractured that the one person that was doing math was not the same person that was building relationships. And so when what was that like for you? A lot of people, we, we don't use this as a teaching platform a lot of times to explain stuff, but we're constantly dealing with people that were that broken soul, fractured, these different kind of words, dissociative identity disorder. How did it, how, what did that look like for you? I was first given that label of dissociative identity disorder when I found out that I was carrying a baby boy and they did an ultrasound and told me I have a son. Um, I was actually in the hospital threatening labor at 23 weeks um, and walking into the uh, maternity ward, I smelt death. Now, not knowing that I had a gift of discernment back then, I'm like, why are we walking into the morgue? It's like, I thought you said we're going into the maternity ward. And they're like, this is the maternity ward. And I'm like, well, then why do you have all of these stretchers ready to take bodies to the morgue? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Those are the surgical beds we're prepping for. There's a lot of women coming in today for their procedures. Well, apparently it was abortion day. But that smell that I was smelling it shocked me so badly that it stopped the labor. And so my son's life was spared, but then finding out that I had a son just, it triggered off all of these memories and um, I was going cuckoo. And uh, so I guess in the SSRA programming lingo, I ended up flipping a flooding switch where all of a sudden I'm like having like 20, 30 memories all at once and it incapacitated me. Um, and 
we went to our pastor who was also a trained psychologist that right there should give you a big red flag. And, uh, he's like, you have DID. Um, we're recommending that you, uh, turn yourself in before I have to form one you. And so a form one is where they would forcibly take you to the hospital for 72 hours under investigation. And they're like, and they're going to abort your baby because you can't be pregnant while you're receiving treatment for psychiatric care. Again, mm -hmm. you wow. see the problem with this. And yeah. it's like, okay, firstborn son. You said that's your pastor? Yes. Oh my goodness. And so now jump forward 10 years, or actually 12 years from when all of this is happening now, uh, that church has recently come out as in full support of the LGBTQ agenda. Mm. So you see underneath a lot of these people that are pushing the LGBTQ agenda is actually this satanic occult system. And that they have been laying the groundwork for this whole generation of people to walk in gender confusion and to use that as a means of dealing with their pain. And so um, I had massive red flags about what he was saying. I was not going to kill my child. I was not going to let them kill my child. And I'm like... I have another uh, medical professional that I'm dealing with and they're already helping me through this. I'm sorry, God, I lied, but <laughs> it was like, oh, there's somebody else. Oh, okay. And so somebody... that was years before we met. That was, you were just saying you had somebody. Yes, it, it was not, it was not you guys. This was like yeah, 12 years yeah. ago. And so, um, that sort of all of a sudden they sort of backed off and the medical professional was actually a hip, hypnotist, hypnotist therapy person. And like, if the church can't help me and I've tried looking everywhere at this point, I'm willing to go to a witch because I will do whatever I can in order to save my child. And to help me deal with the pain that I was experiencing from all of these memories. And I had found a uh, birthing doula that had experience with sexual abuse. I wanted to enjoy this pregnancy and this labor with this child. And so I was setting myself up for success as much as I could. And she's like, I've had other clients that have really struggled um, and this hypnotist therapist has been able to, um, help them deal with their different memories and be able to find freedom. So I went into that meeting, told them, it's like, okay, I don't believe in witchcraft. I believe in Jesus Christ as my God. And, uh, but I'm desperate. So it's like, just whatever you do, please do it in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, you know what? That's quite all right. Uh, we have a relationship with Jesus too. Um, and we're going to be able to help you. Well, wouldn't you know, they walked me through forgiveness. Cool. Something a pastor could not do. They walked me through mm. forgiving the people in my past. She didn't go deep. Just there's 
boys and men that have hurt you in your past and you have now cursed the child in your womb as mm. because he's a boy that he would be like them well that's an ungodly belief that There's is a crazy to it and then now you've got word curses and so she dismantled all of that stuff so simply and she did this little thing where she's like okay we're going to create a little safe place um i want you to ask jesus to take you to a safe place well it's like the secret place kind of uh teaching that other people do and where you can go and talk with jesus and that no one can hurt you there and that whenever you're feeling scared or threatened you can go back to that safe place and long story short after we had i think it was one session all of the flooding stopped she was able to turn it all off dealing with the forgiveness i had so much freedom i went full term i had a vaginal delivery with that baby while i was in my secret place with jesus uh i had no pain through that labor the midwives actually wow. thought i was sleeping through it and they're like we're gonna go home you're not even labor and I'm like, can you just check? And they're like, oh my goodness, you're 10 centimeters. We gotta get this baby out. <laughs> and wow. so it is possible to have a pain-free delivery when you do it with Jesus. Um, and so with the dissociative identity disorder, um, what that psychologist was sort of picking up on was I was flipping personalities. And mm -hmm. so, one person would sort of be the mom, the other person would be sort of the one dealing with people. Um, at my work, um, I would have a personality that would be very strong at work. But then if I met any of my coworkers outside of work, I wouldn't remember them. And uh, they would remember me and you start learning coping strategies of, oh yeah, it's nice to meet you. Um, I'm so sorry, it's just been a really busy day. Can you remind me your name again? It's like, I've just been talking to so many different people. And you learn wow. these little cover strategies. Mm. And then they could, so you start to see the look on their face after a while of like, something is weird here. <laughs> A lot of spouses are like that that deal with that, and and uh, just because you experience this doesn't mean that you're dealing with DID. But a lot of times, it's who's going to be home when I get home, and uh, and they don't realize that it's actually often a fractured person because of trauma, and that and and so you experience it at a at a more stark level than a lot of people do where you don't remember certain people. You gotta be yeah. careful with that. You can't give every man just liberty to be like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, there was somebody that did not navigate that well um, in, in a conversation we had recently and it was like, so which part is this? You know, and used it in a mocking way, but oh, no. yeah, we don't, we don't want that. Um, we, we've all had those moments and I'm sure my wife has had those moments like at, at times, so. But yeah, for you it was, it was like the real deal. like. Who is this? Yeah. And in ministry, I don't remember a lot about yours, but a lot of times we actually, different parts have different names. Yes. At time. And that's, that's, that's varied. Um, 
sometimes it makes a lot of sense. You know, like it could be Julie, Julia, Juju, and those are the nicknames you had at different ages, you know? Um, others, it is I am death. I am, and, and sometimes it's satanic names and demonic names. Sometimes I, I've had women that all of a sudden it's a male name that we're connecting to a part. And there's there's usually an interesting story related to that that has nothing to do with LGBTQT, um, but it but it's it, I'm often like okay what are we gonna uncover here, and it's sometimes it's cute you know it's a little girl who decided that day that she wanted to be a boy because boys could do things that girls can't do you know and it, and you're like and you're, and you're dealing with a little kid's processing of something, but um yeah so you you. Had been fractured, had traumas. You were beginning to recover all kind of memories. Um, keep on going. Well, to use that example of a male part, we actually did have one of those come up. Um, so I guess just back up a little bit. During the ministry, recognizing that we were going through broken soul ministry, not just basic deliverance, you would invite Holy Spirit and then to just come in and to minister to healing to whichever broken part that he wanted to bring healing to that day. And then, um, then you would invite me to uh, partner with Holy spirit and giving him permission to reveal a part. And again, my main personality, Julia uh, which you call the controller, which is the main one that most people see all the time, that I would personally give permission for a broken part to have a voice and to share the different memories. And um, I think it was one of our pretty early sessions. And again, that whole thing of I'm going to challenge you and see if I could scare you. Um, because if you can't handle this little thing, then I'm not going to reveal the heavy duty stuff. And, um, so gatekeeper ended up coming up and gatekeeper was a male personality. And like what you mentioned about, uh, girls can't do what boys can. Well, gatekeeper was a boy in my soul because Boys were strong and boys could protect and gatekeeper was the part of my personality that was protecting all of the other parts from being exposed and being hurt. But at the same time, it was also holding them prisoner so that they could never see the light. And so I remember even now I can see that memory playing out in my mind where um, you didn't get scared when gatekeeper started talking. And then he's, you said something along the lines of, okay, well, gatekeeper, your function is to keep the gate. Um, is there anything that you would like to open the gate for? And I remember in my memory that it was almost like gatekeeper is like, okay, see if you can handle this. And there was a little girl part that was sort of grabbed and thrown through the gate and then the gate slammed shut. So now that memory was in the full front 
while all these other broken parts were still in the dark. And then I started remembering that whole memory of that little girl servicing. I don't know how technical we can get with the language here. Um, with uh, servicing pastors and other people that were dressed like businessmen, pastors, you know, your standard church suits. And uh, if I did a good enough job, I would get rewarded with a lollipop. And um, then after that little bit of the memory got exposed and gatekeeper sort of pulled that little girl back into into the, I guess, the no longer in the front of the personality. Now it's like pulled back and gatekeeper is talking again. It's almost like the parts were switching who had my tongue. It is a very weird feeling when you don't really know what's happening. But at the same time, it's like I've felt this so many times throughout my life where it's like I'm talking, but it's not actually me talking. And to finally recognize what was happening. Uh, you called it co-consciousness, I think it was, mm -hmm. where the main personality part was aware that another personality part was present. And this is different than a demon talking because a fractured part contains memories it contains feelings it contains pieces of your history whereas a, a demon can attach to that part which we did deal with whenever a memory came up you would invite them to receive jesus um as their savior as their protector and uh also to receive holy spirit and I remember in one of the sessions where we ended up dealing with some really heavy duty stuff that started when I was two and that part's name was Melinda. And part of having names for the different parts, uh, for me, I found it easier to sort of catalog everything in my brain. That when there was a name, I knew these memories were associated with this broken part. And what the Lord highlighted, it was the Lord that was actually giving the names during the ministry sessions, that it was a way of redeeming those parts. Mm, and beautiful part. yeah. the names were like new names being given for the future, um, the redemptive purpose of those pieces of me. And yeah. so Melinda, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but it was something beautiful. And um, I think it has something to do with honey and with uh, pretty and revelation and something like that. And where the revelation had been horror and traumatic abuse starting at the age of two uh, to now God was giving her a new name of something that now there would be a gift of revelation. Um, and I did notice that as healing came to those different areas of my soul, that now new spiritual gifts were starting to flow. 
and that there was a new new maturity in different parts of my life. Uh, and as you get more healed inside, you're able to operate at your full capacity that God created you to be in. And so during our ministry session uh, with you, Richard, you ended up getting to a place where uh, you asked if the two parts wanted to be integrated. And I remember you saying, we normally don't do this, but I'm sensing Holy Spirit is saying that maybe this is something that would be a good fit for this situation. And that's, we agreed to go through with that. And what I felt at that point was that um, instead of feeling like I was bouncing back and forth between two different people in my head, now it felt like there was a sense of wholeness and there was still all of those memories. There was still all of that personality, but now it was melded together and it wasn't too feeling like two separate people inside anymore. And that brought more stability to my emotions. It brought um, a sense of freedom because one of the things that came out was that because when you fracture your personality, and in my case, it was intentional programming, uh, it was it was very purposely planned for programming purposes um, that Melinda had felt extreme abandonment and rejection because that two-year-old part was then hidden behind all the dissociative barriers and all alone. And so now I had a landing pad for abandonment and rejection and neglect but then also for an unloving spirit, because now myself, I was self-rejecting a part of me. And so when you are coming into rejection of yourself, it's going to bring a lot of health issues, and which I was manifesting. I had so many health problems. And since I've gone through a lot of this counseling, a lot of those issues have dramatically improved. And so when our, what's the verse in the Bible? Um, you shall be in health even as your soul shall prosper. Mm -hmm. And so as my soul was being healed and those different parts of my memories were becoming part of me instead of being hidden, that now my whole soul was beginning to thrive. Because as long as there's secrecy and hiddenness, and blocked memories, that's a secret. It's a landing pad for shame. And that's where you end up getting a lot of these Jezebel Ahab strongholds developing in families because there's secrets. And wherever there's secret, there's going to be shame. Where there's shame, you're going to have fear that people are going to discover the shame. And therefore, you are going to control everything around you. So you, you were kind of guarding your language, um, but I think it came out pretty clear. But I just want to want to try to put terms on this. You, the programming component is that that sexuality was being programmed into you, 
and and it was for a purpose to be utilized to to servicing is is uh, um yeah sexually satisfying um other people's sexual desires that are not you're not married to your little girl and uh so that that's a heavy pill to swallow hard stuff to uncover and you're not talking one memory you're talking like uh, you uh, one of the things that you often uncover and you uncovered a fair amount of that followed you throughout life of different programming even to the point where if i remember correctly you were being trained to program others and being used in programming others which is also very very normal um the, the it's part of the mind control once you do to someone else the unbelievable things that were done to you it is like shame is even more cemented and the desire the enemy is to rob us of our own soul of our sense of like you can't be forgiven you are you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so um it, it that's a lot of heavy stuff and and but you're until that point in your life you had the conscious memory of growing up in a christian home going to christian schools um and, and your life was anything but sheltered and a lot of this happened in a religious context we're dealing with people that have not uncovered all of the stuff that you've uncovered but they're like their abuse happened in a religious venue that really messes up someone's ability to believe in God, accept Jesus, um, believe God loves them, believe God forgives them. And there's a lot of things. We just had another guest who had memories of the false Jesus telling them, building trust, being a great, wonderful figure in their life, and then going, you can never be forgiven. And and so you had that. You were already kind of mentioning going I know God is supposed to be good and all this, but why do I hate him? How did that unravel? How did that begin to change? Uh, I guess we have to go backward a little bit to go forward to that question. Um, I, my ritual abuse started when I was two. Um, I ended up, so my abuse happened in a church basement and then uh, went overseas when I was four, where the abuse just continued to follow wherever we went. I have no memories of my parents actually doing any of the perpetration, um, but the fact that it kept following me all over, all throughout my life, um, somehow it just followed wherever my parents were. Um, and so when I was seven, I was sent away to a boarding school of Cameron Highlands. And uh, when we were doing different um, stuff that was the different um, ministry and the deprogramming and whatnot, uh, it was it started connecting the dots that that's where the assassin programming ended up happening when I was seven years old. And um Apparently, that was quite common 
that a pattern started coming out that people had London Bridges, um, Big Ben, Assassin Programming, Delta Programming, um, the Beta Kitten, Reinforcement, um, Reporter, all of those different things uh, seem to be very common in people that have been sent to Christian boarding schools where they're separated from their families and now there's no parental oversight and you use Christian kids to then be programmed to do your dirty work. Because, well, who would ever question a pastor's kid of being involved in such stuff? And then by the time that I was 12, I have memories where I am servicing UN ambassadors and um, government agents um, and it's not just one-on-one, but there's full-out orgies that were being facilitated um, by the school that I was supposed to be at. And so, again, it's was like... Was that a NATO school or a Christian school? I'm trying to remember. Uh, it was supposedly a Christian school, but when we started digging into information, found out that it was an active military base. And when we were describing the different memories that I had, you're like, that's a programming site. Mm -hmm. And then we would get a lot of the students that survived because we used to have a joke that anyone who left to go home on furlough, that they would hit the slide is what it was called. And we knew only 50% of the kids would come back alive. And we used to joke about it. But then wow. when it came time for us to go, I ended up having a complete nervous breakdown because I'm not coming back alive. And mm. uh, there was just a lot of fear, even knowing that I was going to have to come back to Canada. And I was in utter terror of my life because I just had a strong knowing I wasn't going to make it back alive. And... Um, then when we did come back to Canada, because I'd gone so unstable, I needed to have uh, special uh, Christian counseling. And so the missionary organization paid for us to go to special Christian counselors to a military base location that was four hours away from where we lived, even though there was a psychiatric hospital right in the city we were at. And there were a lot of Christians in that place. But no, we had to drive every single week for four hours each way. So an eight hour drive oh my um, to go receive special counseling from these people that were technically they were off base, but they were all connected. And the memories that started coming up there of that was not counseling. That was full blown wiping and reprogramming mk ultra you've been describing a lot of things that anybody with any knowledge or background of like mk ultra which many would say is um conspiracy theory and, and that one of the challenging things is we've dealt with it a fair amount god brings the julias to us is is um you didn't get that from the movies you didn't get it from you know, Tom Clancy novels or, you know, anything like that. You, 
that this was your life, your childhood. Um, and I'm Googling the places and I'm going like it, it, what was interesting is there was a strong American connection. You're in Canada and you're in other places, but the American connection was kind of blowing me away. American presidents connected American, um, uh, yeah, influences in many regards connected to all of this. Yeah. Um, Military air bases that were leased out to the Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you had the most clear, vivid memories of spin programming um, that I've heard. We deal with spin programming a lot and we know what we, I more know it because of how much it affects the ability to minister. We know how to deal with it now, but it's designed to keep a person so off base. And you described it in, in, um, the most detail I've ever heard it described in. And, um, yeah, I remember that memory. Um, yeah. And the physical trauma that came out of that memory, or rather, the trauma that I experienced from what happened at that time, um, where I was on the spin table. What I was describing, you had suspected that there were uh, drugs being used. Um, it was on a military base, uh, the way that it was like in a bunker kind of environment. I would have been about seven or eight years old. And then being... Oh, I thought I was in my mind, it was during the military season, but it was it was young, much younger than that. Okay. Um, there were other memories when I was older, when I was actively okay. in the military. But it starts yeah. connecting the dots because if you've got military parents who are supposedly discharged, um, but then you are living right next to another military base for your missionary work, and now your child is being programmed at a military base, and connected to a boarding school that is also owned by the American military, um, all the dots start to connect. And then um, with that specific spin table memory, um, where they were using a electric cattle prod for sodomization, and my body has the scars from that. Yeah. And I remember I had an, a memory ever since I was a child in my open consciousness that um, I was going to the bathroom and I was filling the toilet with blood. And my mom telling me, if this ever happens again, they're going to cut your intestines out. And so now I've got reinforcement of I better keep all of this stuff secret because mm. I don't want my intestines being cut out. Now, I don't think she would have intentionally tried to uh, scare me with that. It was probably just a very natural, my mom recognized if you're bleeding from your bowels with Crohn's and colitis, they give you an ostomy. But from a child's perspective, what she said just further cemented the secrecy that I can't even get help from the people I'm supposed to trust the most. And so 
living that life of no one cares, no one will protect me. Um, and then, so then jump forwards. That was when I was seven, eight. The UN ambassadors was when I was 12. When I was 13, it was the Asian version of the Epstein Island where there was many governmental leaders. Um, and uh, that was where multiple, I have a memory of multiple of us girls from our boarding school um, that we were then basically the uh, entertainment, to put it politely, uh, for these governmental leaders. And there was one specific memory where I was selected out, um, where I was then uh, handcuffed to this pillar, and then I was whipped while all of these men got to watch. And to show how the positive piece of this was as we are walking through that memory and um, then inviting Jesus to come into that memory and bringing healing from that pain. And I could describe what the floor looked like. I could describe what the pillar looked like, the beach and the, the, like the palm tree and everything. And then you were asking me, where, what is Jesus doing? And Jesus was coming in and saying, do you want me to remove these handcuffs? And it's like, yes, well, you're going to have to forgive. Because as long as there's unforgiveness in your heart, I don't have permission to take those shackles off. And so then I had to choose to forgive, not condone the behavior, but I had to choose to release them to give him the right to give vengeance instead of holding that bitterness and the vengeance in my own heart. And in that memory, he ended up undoing the handcuffs. And then, and at this point, I'm completely naked as a 13 year old. And he's walking me out from that little portico kind of thing, um, out onto the sand and onto the water. And as he's walking me towards the water, his glory is clothing me. And he's saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to dress you with that, with a clothing that no man will ever be able to take off and you will never be naked ever again. Mm -hmm. And as we're walking out and we're walking on the water, on the ocean mm -hmm. um, with Jesus and instead of remembering all of the pain and the shame and the humiliation of everything. Now I have the feeling of I'm accepted. My shame has been removed and I am clothed with honor. His glory is clothing me. And I'm going to be able to do things with my Jesus that those men will never be able to do no matter what their position with their money, with their connections, that they will never be able to take this away from me. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, that's what this ministry is all about of, yes, you have to deal with the pain of those memories and you have to release forgiveness. Um, you have to surrender your right to take vengeance, to, hold on to judgment against those people recognizing that 
those perpetrators are also victims themselves because the devil has them held in chains of demonic bondage because you wouldn't do this kind of stuff if your conscience was still intact mm -hmm. you wouldn't have you wouldn't have those desires to do such perversion if the love of jesus was inside of you and so walking through those painful memories one by one bringing healing to them bringing a restorative creative part of that memory of I was never alone. Jesus was always there. Um, and when I surrendered the unforgiveness, that's when he was allowed to step in. But because he's given us a free will that he has, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but because he's given us a free will, he has tied his own hands until we give him permission to act on our behalf because he is a gentleman he is not going to control us now he'll make life pretty uncomfortable at times to um, give us motivation to choose him but he's not going to abuse us and that was one of the big things of going back of how did i get to becoming a real believer in the real Jesus. So that's a little bit of the background leading up to that. Um, when, okay, there's one more piece coming to mind. So when I was 17, I ended up going to university in Canada, left my parents behind overseas. And um, I, part of what they tell you during your first year of university is everyone, you need to go to the sex clinic and make sure you get your paps done and get your training for STDs. They automatically assume you're going to be full tilt Sexually. in sexual perversion. And, um, I had, and they wanted you doing paps every six months just to make sure that you weren't catching anything. I assume that was normal. <laughs> Um, I don't think it's quite normal anywhere else, but again, that's where, when you have my kind of background, who was actually feeding me that information that I had to do this every six months and making sure that I'm still clean so that they can still use me for different, uh, functions. And when I went, uh, to that sex clinic, the first time I had a female, uh, OBGYN. And then the second time I went, she asked if it would be okay, she trained somebody else with me. And that because we're on a university or a university city, you've got all of these medical students that need so many hours, so many uh, experiences before they can check that box that they're qualified in this very skill. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'm a nursing student, you're a doctor student, go for it. I'll be your guinea pig, you be mine. And when they went to do the pap and um, I could hear the female doctor whispering to the student, just giving him a little bit of a heads up and you could just sort of see he was a little uh, disconcerted. But then when he sat down to start the procedure and he actually saw what he was supposed to be dealing with, he just burst into tears and he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he just, 
he couldn't cope with the damage that he had seen. And so that was another verifier that something had happened that I didn't remember. Mm. So that was 17. Uh, jump forward to when I was 25. I'm now pregnant. There's a whole other miracle story, but I won't go into that one. Mm. Um, that because of the abuse, I couldn't get pregnant. God gave me a supernatural uterus transplant. Um, and then I did get pregnant. That's the very short version. Uh, and I knew I did not want a natural OB. I wanted a midwife. Um, I just had a knowing stay away from doctors. They're bad. Um, <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with doctors. So I found a midwife um, outside of my city that was willing to take me on. And I let her know that I think I've got sexual abuse in my background. I don't quite really remember. Um, and so she treated me right from the get go as if I was uh, a sexual abuse survivor. And then after the delivery where now she's fully involved with like, she can see everything. And, uh, after my six weeks postpartum check and all of that stuff, She's like, okay, I want to confirm to you that, yes, you have been severely sexually abused. Um, and I strongly recommend you not get pregnant again until you've dealt with this stuff so that you don't um, have the same problems. Because I ended up going full-blown dissociation and had a lot of problems um, with that delivery. So a little bit more confirmation there. During that pregnancy, I did not know that she was a pastor's wife, but she was the real deal. She was a real Christian. She was flowing with the Holy Spirit. Um, and she was praying for me all the way through this pregnancy. Uh, and mm. she helped me manifest the, she fought for the prophetic words that I had about this pregnancy. And mm we got exactly what God said that I would get and I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. And, um, so during the pregnancy, she was encouraging me to read the Bible and, uh, I was on bed rest. There was, you can only watch so much TV before you're going. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm finally going to read the Bible. I was already trained as a lay pastor at this point, but I didn't know the Bible. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't have Holy Spirit at this point. And yet that, that, that's a mouthful that like, like there's so many people in those positions that have a religious background, have titles. Did you know you didn't have a relationship or that was not even like part of your worldview at all? You just, you, how, how did you get into that role as a minister? What, because of who there? my parents were. Uh, okay. And so, oh. But you were not aware that you didn't have a relationship. Correct. It so, was it, you were just following the religious traditional order yeah. of things, and and uh, okay. um, I had wow. a measure of awareness that I didn't have everything that other people had, um, but I wasn't able to uh, verbalize that. Uh, I knew I was empty inside and mm. that bugged me 
Um, but I figured, okay, well, yay, I'm finally going to be a lay pastor. Um, and this was a congregation of about 2,000 people or so, maybe 3,000. Not exactly sure. It was big. And so um, they knew who my parents were. And wherever I went, my father's name would be flashed. And then it brought attention to the church. And so that's why I got put in that position. Now, when I'm pregnant, I'm reading the Bible cover to cover. And I'm starting at Genesis. Now, growing up, I've been told, oh, you don't need to know about the Old Testament. That's been done away with. We have Jesus now. And so reading through Genesis to Deuteronomy, I'm realizing, oh, my goodness, I'm a sinner. I'm the one who's broken all the laws, not all those dirty heathen out there that need to get saved, that I'm the one that needs to be saved. And I had an encounter with Jesus at that moment. I'm sitting in my rocking chair. The sun was streaming through the window. And I just, that overwhelming awareness that I'm a sinner and I need the freedom of Jesus Christ. And it looks like we just lost you are still on, so okay. keep talking. And okay. I think it's recording you. Our camera turned off, which has never happened that I know of. I bet it's a battery. It's a newer camera, and that battery might be dead. But I think the audio is still recording. Am I correct? And, I and uh, your you. video is recording. So we're, we're going to get that camera. We may get that camera back up, or we may get a – I think you might be pulling up a different camera. So, um, Yeah. Okay, so we got I'll a keep new, going. really nice camera, which is awesome. But if you don't charge the batteries and put a new battery in or plug it in, this is what can happen. Yeah, we're at 81 minutes, so we might have gone past yeah. time. Keep, keep going. Well, well, Andrew's going to be working on that. Um, and you don't have another battery handy, do you? It, it's a rechargeable battery and it has, it has enough charge. Okay. And this is where editing comes into play. <laughs> Yeah, this little piece yeah. Out. we'll cut out a little bit of the audio here, but we may be without video for a little bit. Who knows? Yeah, you guys just go ahead and start up. Yeah, keep keep going. So okay, so I'm in the rocking chair and reading my Bible, recognizing that oh my goodness, I'm the one who has disobeyed the voice of the Lord, and reading wow. through all of these commandments that. Uh, if you obey my voice, these will be the blessings. And if you disobey my voice, these are all the curses that are going to come on your life. And I realized there's no way out of all of these curses without the freedom of the blood of Jesus, because he pays the penalty of the curse of the law. He doesn't get rid of the law itself. And so as I had that awareness, like I just knew that I knew that Jesus had saved me that day. And I was 26 at that point. Um, now I only had uh, salvation through Jesus Christ at that point. He continued to go through the rest of the pregnancy with me, showing me so many times that he was there, that he was saving my life, that he was redeeming me from the curses uh, 
there were so many curses trying to land, but he was keeping me safe during that process. And then we ended up moving to the province that I'm now. Um, and we just, I just devoured the Bible. I was studying, uh, the Bible all the time. Uh, my husband thought I was a bit of a nutcase uh, in a different <laughs> way now because I just had an obsession. Why can't you just be normal like the rest <laughs> of the religious world? Don't take the Bible too seriously. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I've had parents, pastors tell that, talk to that uh, their kids that way because they're like, all of a sudden they're like reading the Bible and it's radically transforming in them, them and, and the religious world has a hard time accepting that. Yeah. And to boot, my husband's parents were pastors. And so this didn't help any. <laughs> and so as I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, honey, the Bible says this, but we're doing that. We need to change. And he's like, no, 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 no. My mom's a pastor and she knows the Bible. And it's like, it's good enough for his mom to know it. He didn't need to know it. And I'm like, no, 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 you read this for yourself. Like, we're in disobedience. We're going to get in trouble here. And so the fear of the Lord really hit me um, at that time, realizing like there are severe consequences for rebellion. And um, so as we were trying to come to grips with my new obsession with the Bible, that uh, we came to an agreement that, okay, I would do all of the studying because I like studying to begin with. And I would do a Coles Notes version on whatever specific issue that was coming up that was bugging me. And we would read through what the Bible said together, and then we'd make a decision. So, for example, one of the things was uh, feminine clothing, because with my background and then my military time, according to modern day lingo, I would have been a as close to being trans as you can be without having the sexual uh, surgeries um, mm -hmm. because men were always the abusers. So if I could be a man and act like a man and everyone thought I was a man in the military, that they wouldn't hurt me. And so it wasn't so much that I wanted the sexual genitalia of a man. I wanted the safety and protection that masculinity mm -hmm. could give you. And so even in the military, people called me sir. And, um, and I quite relished that until the Lord brought me to a verse in Isaiah of, uh, like, oh, daughter of Babylon, sit down in the dust, uh, to remove your veil. No one will meet you as a man. And, um, really highlighting that no matter how hard I tried to be a man, I wasn't a man mm. and I can't. I can't change my DNA. I can't change my genetic code. I do not have XY chromosomes. And that's where then he started leading me through the Bible, what it said to be a godly biblical woman. And that all of these things that I'd been told were evil and bad, like um, being a stay at home mom was for lazy people of um, having to rely on anyone else was, uh, it was just a wretched sin. Um, so I had to go get a career that I could support myself so that when my husband left, 
that I would be able to support myself and I wouldn't be left hung to dry. Um, so that's the kind of mental upbringing I was taught that don't ever rely on men. Um, you have to be independent, strong feminist to the point that I was so strongly feminist that I went all the way to wanting to be a man. <laughs> and um, then through this walk through the scriptures, I realized, wait a minute, the real strength is in being what God designed you to be. And a man cannot have babies. A man cannot really? breastfeed. <laughs> Revelation, just newsflash. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apparently uh, the government needs uh, to go back to science class, learn about <laughs> biology. Oh, my goodness. Um, and as we started making that shift, it actually caused a bit of a problem with my husband because as I tried to obey and I wanted to submit to the lordship of Jesus in my life, I started becoming a nicer woman. And I was no longer arguing and complaining all the time. I was no longer fighting my husband for dominance. And the change was so drastic. My husband finally had a meltdown one day in the kitchen. And he's like, okay, I've had enough. I can't handle this anymore. Who's the other man? <laughs> and he thought I was having an affair. And I was going to butter him up before I left him. Oh my goodness. And I was like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's hilarious. And I'm like, man, what do you mean another man? And he's like, you're having an affair. I can't handle this anymore. You're just too nice. You're never nice. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yes, there is another man. And his name is Jesus. Oh my goodness. And my husband's like, what? You're having an affair with me? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I actually met Jesus and he's in my heart and he's now, I want to do everything to please him. And I feel loved. And when I'm walking in obedience, I just have like, just his love is pouring through me. And I love that feeling of being loved. And this was, happened before you got ministry with us, didn't it? Correct. That was like yes. way, way before, yeah. And um, what a beautiful – so you're not in a church that teaches you about Jesus. You are in a religious world where religion is all you've gotten, but you start reading the Bible and you encounter the real Jesus. Yes. Booyah. I and love that. It was the Jesus of the Old Testament. <gasps> because There's a Jesus in the Old Testament? Uh -oh. <laughs> well, the New Testament oh says that Jesus is Jehovah come in the flesh. And it was mm -hmm. Jehovah who gave the laws to Moses and who he was speaking to face to face. And so w even with Paul, he was teaching the Pharisees and anyone who would listen to him that Jesus was in the Old Testament. Mm. And so... As we started changing our lifestyle and um, we, our marriage, we were shifting. So now I was no longer fighting with my husband all the time that the relationship uh, started changing from me being in control, which is common with a Jezebel Ahab relationship, 
to now I'm promoting my husband to take the lead in our marriage and in our family. And as we made that change, that um, he ended up uh, starting to take the authority in our home. And that's when I found safety. Wow. And that was really what positioned us to be able to go into the therapy with Richard and your whole team, because I had a foundation of safety in my own home. So mm. I was now able to unpack those painful memories because I knew I had a safe place in the natural realm. I had a safe place with Jesus Christ and then learning about Abba Father and during, uh, before I started ministry with Richard, I had an amazing uh, experience with the Lord where we were at a, it was, it was a church building, but it was like a, a prayer meeting where they just sort of. Hold on up. one second. Pause a second. This is really important. Your mic, the sound of your mic changed drastically for a second. That's just for us. I can see that. Okay. So the input may be the same, but so go ahead. light possible. 
But then all of a sudden, I'm now two, three years old, and I'm in the throne room of heaven. But at the same time, there's grass in front of the throne of heaven. And there's Abba Father sitting on his throne. It, it was not clear. It was like very hazy. Like I knew there was a person there, but I couldn't see details. Um, which lines up with you cannot see God and live. And yet you can see Jehovah face to face. And so I was seeing that in the vision. And I'm dancing around uh, on the grass and just worshiping the Lord with dance, with singing, with just childhood exuberance. And I went and picked a wildflower out of the grass and I run up and I hand it to Abba Father. And I just knew that he had so much joy. And then all of a sudden it pricked me in my heart. I'm like, oh my goodness, I just killed a flower. And he said, no, everything is alive. And the flower was still dancing in Abba Father's hand. And oh, wow. so I got to have these experiences where now I know Jesus. I've experienced the healing touch of the Holy Spirit. I started speaking in tongues. I started moving in the gift of prophecy. Uh, the gift of discernment, didn't know what it was, had no training. Um, still hunting for training, actually, in that. Um, and then uh, now I'm meeting Abba Father. Uh, and I'm having this solid relationship that nothing is going to knock me out of the embrace of my heavenly father. And so that was my foundation going into uh, therapy with uh, Richard. I could, I already had baptism, in the Holy spirit. I already knew how to hear God's voice. And I think that's why we had such rapid progress because when all of this different stuff, all these different memories were coming up that there was there was a solid enough relationship with God that the memories were not able to knock me out of his grip. And so I was processing the memories, processing the pain with my Jesus. Um, and then we did have one of those memories you were talking, Richard, about uh, the false Jesus. And we did have one of those memories uh, where there was a situation where with one of the memories that the false Jesus was telling me, like, come along with me and we're going to go have fun and we're going to do all of this stuff. But then there was another there was a fire um, and how the scriptures talk about uh, your God is an all consuming fire. And the fire out of the fire was a voice saying, come to me. And then I've got the false Jesus saying, no, come to me and I'll give you everything that you want. And knowing that if I, if I walked with the false Jesus, I would get, the fame, I would get the power, I would get all of that stuff. Um, but at the same time, my heart was longing for the fire, knowing that it was going to burn away anything that was not of God. And I had a knowing it was going to hurt if I accepted that fire. 
And I had to choose, was I going to follow the fake Jesus? And I knew in this memory, it was fake. There was a real and there was a fake. And I was able to discern the difference, thankfully, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you have, um, sort of back up a little bit. So I did choose the all consuming fire. And when I stepped into it, it hurt so much. And at the same time, it felt so good. And the love that just encompassed me and that joy that it was like, it was filling every part of me. And that is what, um, really pushed me towards, I want total healing. Um, I'm willing to endure walking through those painful memories because I know I've got that love. I know I have that joy and no one can take that away from me now. Um, so when you recognize that you have a lot of these big wig pastors that they're, they're like household names and they're like powerful and they have prestige and they have finances and they operate in supernatural power. But sometimes when you look at them, it's like their eyes look funny and you got to wonder, did they get seduced by a false Jesus? Yeah. Because when you listen to them, they think that they have the real deal. Um, and yet they don't have the fruit that love and humility and that submission from the heart level that bursts outward obedience and the fear of the Lord. And so the transformation with my life of going deeper into relationship with the Lord, walking in obedience to the Lord, um, it has caused a distinction, like what you mentioned about there's the religious people. And when you get too passionate, it ends up causing people to reject you. And because they recognize they don't have what you have. And so we've gone through a series of being kicked out of churches. Um, when I've highlighted some different things like, guys, you guys got a red flag here. Um, do you know that they're grooming your children in Sunday school for the LGBTQ agenda? Uh, you cannot be tolerating that or it's going to come back to hit you. And then getting kicked out of the church for exposing it. Um, so it has been a very lonely road, but at the same time, that verse about it is better to be a day in the presence of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it has been that intimacy with the heavenly father, with Jesus Christ, with Holy spirit that has given me the strength to keep pushing through and walking through healing. And then even now to the point where I've started talking to little people that I, I know in my own little circle that I've built a relationship with, they now know about my past. Um, and in turn, I'm able to help them start walking through healing in their own hearts. And it's coming so, full circle. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, um, there's going to be people that watch this or, and listen to it. 
who some I think it could be triggering because they've been through some of the same stuff, but they've never recovered a memory. And it's going to like, sometimes it's like opening up a can of worms. It's like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it it can be unsettling. Um, There's other people that have reached out like you have to religious place after religious place after. And, and some of the ministries you reached out to, I hold in very high regard. And, and I would not throw a stone at uh, some of my favorite people, but they, but, but dealing with this kind of stuff isn't, um, if you're trying to cast a demon out of some, or, or a part of you that sometimes acts like a demon, you try to cast that out and you can't cast it out. That's really disconcerting when you have been, you know, background in deliverance ministry because you're used to being able to take authority over a demon, cast it out. And all of a sudden you're trying to do that. And, I, and I've done it before where I'm going, how come we can't get rid of this? Because I have an anointing for casting out demons and and had not hit that kind of a wall hardly ever. I mean, it just wasn't like, why is it so easy for me until we were dealing with broken soul? And I'm like, why am I and people that I hold even in high regard than me not able to get rid of these demons? And so... Anyways, I think there's going to be people that are listening that can identify with so many different aspects of your story. There are, there are people that are blown away right now that are going, I can't accept. I can't believe any of this is real. Um, oh, she's going to have to definitely come back on for part two. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we, we barely even touched half of her story. And, we didn't even and, get and, through it all. And some of the most ex- compelling part, your microphone or something was going on. I'm hoping the audio is better on the recorded end. But but right there when you were sharing some it's of the visions vision. and stuff oh, like that. Goodness. That was so powerful, and I was like, it, it ended up sounding almost like... Um, Auto, auto-tune a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It was like, wow, a little bit. And uh, so anyways, we um, uh, if we don't have that in this one, we'll get that in number two. But, Absolutely. But what would you say to the Julias out there who may be able to identify with something? And then I want to ask you to kind of close us in prayer and pray over our audience. And there'll be people like your husband that are like going... I think this is my wife. What can I do? You know, <laughs> pray for them. Um, and, some uh, wives what, whatever. I, I know you might even have a prophetic word, but but um, but what would you say to the Julias out there? That you're not alone. That there are so many of us out there, and that God will bring you to the right person at the right time to minister healing, uh, just like with my husband getting the word of knowledge about Richard Mull. If I had come across Richard Mull five years earlier, I would not have been able to cope with mm-hmm. all of the memory revelation because mm-hmm. my relationship with the Lord was not strong enough. And so the biggest thing is push into the word of God push into building your intimacy and the relationship with the Lord. I did a course called Hearing God's Voice by Mark Verkler through um, Christian Leadership University Um, and learning how to hear God's voice, journaling it, and then taking it back to scripture to validate that what I was hearing was actually God's voice. And You're not alone. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is your protector. He is your provider. 
He is your high priest that is able to wash away all of those sins. Um, I guess if you go into part two, that's probably where we'll hear a little bit more. But I have been a murderer. I have been an adulterer. I have attempted suicide many times and thank God failed. Um, I have done awful, horrific things under the guise of programming and being a human robot uh, for my controllers. And my high priest of Jesus Christ was able to wash away all of those sins. He was able to cleanse my conscience. He was Amen. able to redeem me and give me that sense of feeling clean from the inside out. And yes, I still have the memories that I've done those things, but they no longer control me. They are no longer who I am. They are just simply a stepping stone in the history of where I have been. And I'm thankful for the journey that God has taken me on. I see the redemptive purpose in it all because not only am I able to connect with people who have done, like been used with the SSRA uh, and all the programming, but so many people have been sexually abused. And now that I have victory in that area of my life, I'm able to go lead others to victory. And so what the devil meant for evil, God is always able to bring about a plan of redemption, of restoration, of reformation. And he's able to take that pain and weave it into something glorious and to be able to be a part of restoring the breach and making up the hedge for other people and Yeah, it's... Praise God. Will you close us in prayer now? Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share this testimony, as sanitized as it is. Father, we bless Richard Mull and his team. Father, to grow and extend their tent pegs so that they are in turn able to train up others to be able to reach others. Like even with this podcast of people that may have never heard of him before, that they are then able to know that they're not alone and that there's others out there that have gotten the victory that have overcome and shifted to the light. Father, we pray for those that are under the sound of my voice that they would feel your presence right now, that they would know that you truly do exist and that you have a plan and a purpose and a destiny for their lives. And it does not include the pain that they're feeling right now, that there is freedom from this pain. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just meet them right now in whatever memory is surfacing right now as they're feeling that pain, that you would just step into that memory and bring your amazing love, your acceptance, your peace, 
your love to transform that pain into something glorious and that they would feel immediately that there is hope, that we always have hope, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, we pray that you would direct and guide their steps, that you would lead them to the scriptures that they need to see on a page, that they would have discernment awakened right now in Jesus' name to be able to discern the uh, the voice of the Lord separated from the voice of the enemy and that they would grow their relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure we'll be having a part two coming up soon. So if you enjoyed this, as always, subscribe, comment, share it with people, and uh, let us know if you want a part two. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. (laughs) And and, uh, who's the girl that just popped her?